1: What's good everyone and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host Brandon Verwicki, coming at you live from the studio aka my dining room for the time being. <laughs> it's a bit of a different setup but we'll we'll find a way to make it work. I'm also wearing pants by the way because I'm a pro right so it's, it's the little things that You got to find a way to get through. So we're going to break down a pretty eventful week for, I mean, the city, the Jets, (laughs) including a win over the Sens, a tough loss to the Flames, PLD's debut, and then maybe the biggest concern with the team moving forward. We've also got a great interview for the plates portion of the pod. For those that don't know, every Friday we highlight someone from the local food scene here to, you know, just shine a light on the great things they do in the community, some of the great food that they serve. And Krista Bruno Gunther stopped by. You may have seen her on the Food Network, Wall of Chefs. She's got a great place in the city called Feast Cafe Bistro. So, We talked about that and and what goes into great First Nations cooking. I mean, Bannock pizza, tacos, a bunch of awesome stuff. So that's coming your way in about uh, 10, 15 minutes or so. But before we get into some Jets talk, I just want to say this quickly. It's been a crazy couple of days since the news that TSN 1290 is now donezo. It's finished. And I'm not going to turn this into a pity party or anything like that. Like, I'm going to be fine. I've always got my career as a slightly overweight male model to fall back on. So I'm going to be good in the financial department. But I I just want to truly thank everyone that's reached out over the last little while. It was overwhelming, to be honest. Uh, But, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised because Manitobans are the nicest people on the planet. But just seeing the messages of, you know, how me, Jim, and Troy were parts of your mornings and some of the relationships that we've built with all of you guys. I mean, it was bittersweet, but it was honestly, it was just the best. It's it's the best part of the job that we had. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys so much. It really means the world to me. And I'm just going to stop talking about it because... I don't want to cry right now, so enough of that. Let's get on to the Jets, baby. Let's talk about what you guys came here for. I mean, a big W against the Sens as far as the standings and, and the chase for a playoff spot goes, but Ooh, that was that was an ugly ass two points last night. I mean some some wins are Da Vinci's, some are a drunken stick man drawing on a cave and that was definitely leaning towards the latter. But let's start with the good. We'll start on on what what stood out from a positive side of things. Paul Stastny's just a boss. There's no other way to say it. I I just I love the way he goes about the game. It's so rare when Paul Stastny doesn't make the right play, and I know I've said this before, but there's some guys in hockey that will make You know, two, three electric plays that just stand out and catch your eye. But they don't really do a whole lot the rest of the game. And then there's guys like Stasny who will just make like a thousand good plays over the course of 60 minutes. And they just add up over a game. And they may not even necessarily show up on the score sheet, but they help your team win. And that's what Paul Stasny did all night long. Now, I mean, hey, to be fair, some of it is the horrendous Ottawa goaltending, but nobody was stopping that brilliant pass to Wheeler on the power play. He's doing it on the wing now. He's done it down the middle this year. Hell, Paul Marie should try out on D. Might, might, Might be a good fit on the second pair with how well he's going right now. So, I mean, Paul Stasny is just so much fun to watch. And, I mean, the more... The more we see how well he just fits in with this team, I, I really wonder how he doesn't come back in some capacity with this team next year. Maybe it's a one-year deal, maybe it's two more years, but sure as hell looks like Paul Stassi's got a decent amount left in the tank. A great performance by him. He was my first star for sure. That Shifley pass to Pro though, by the way, mwah, that was chef's gift. Like that That's some special stuff right there. I and I gotta say too, Shifley's all-around game has taken a pretty big leap since he was put with Ealers and Cops. So that's been super positive. Another really strong night from that line and from 55. I think Shifley's play one of the more promising developments developments we've seen over the past week or so. And Hellebuck was great. He, he was really, really good early on, and and things were kind of you know scarily getting out of hand early. But Hellebuck helped steady the ship and the Jets found their sea legs a little bit in the second period. And then, you know, by the time it's four rip early in the third, it was curtains for the send. So Hellebuck played a pretty decent role in that, which kind of leads to the not so good. I mean, let's be honest. The first. Well, there's my idiot dog. I mentioned <laughs> not the ideal setup. my idiot dog is, is trying to get out of my dining room right now. Go spare. Just sit down. Ghost, just stop. (laughs) Sorry about that. I mean, the first period, let's be honest, was just a complete shit show. And I can say shit now, too, by the way, without any repercussions, so that's awesome. (laughs) But, man, do the Jets ever struggle with fast, tough forechecks. And that's exactly what Ottawa threw their way in the first period. And in the second period, too, to be honest. Now, they can get away with it against teams like the Sens because there's not a ton of talent there. They're not going to make you pay a ton when you're sloppy inside your own end. But I really worry that when they play a team like Montreal who attacks in a similar fashion, they're just going to get roasted. Like, the Habs will make you pay. And the Jets are going to play Montreal a ton over the next month or so. So they have to figure out a way to get their act together inside their own end pretty quickly or else what's a pretty cushy spot right now might be a, a little bit tenuous as we get into March and April but all of this brings me to my next point and I think it might be time to finally admit something and I've been hesitant to do so so far this season because it's a pretty big issue I think we have a Josh Morrissey problem and I hate to kind of rag on the guy, and I mean, Paul Maurice has kind of quietly agreed with that to an extent, because forward Pionk have pretty much taken over as this team's top pairing when it comes to 5-on-5 ice time. Even in that game against the Sens last night, forward Pionk had the most 5-on-5 minutes again. Morrissey led the team, but that's because of his time on the power play, and on top of that, I, I... I wonder just how successful the power play is going to be with Josh Morrissey there. I don't think that's his forte. I I get that there's not the need for a righty on the top pair now because you don't have to try and set up that Patrick line in one timer, but I still think Neil Pionk might be the best fit for guys that are on the ice and on the game day roster right now. Uh, But Morrissey just, I mean, it's been a while now. He doesn't look at all like the guy that earned that big money deal. And he's just, he's flat out struggling pretty much all over the ice. And, and people will point to the fact that both he and Truba not being the same players that they once were once they were split up, and, and that's true. But I don't think people are realizing why that's the case. Truba was actually the main puck mover and distributor between the two when they were together. Like, Truba was the guy making that first pass out of their own zone. Truba, a lot of the times, would carry the puck and, and join the rush and, and try to kickstart offense that way. And that comfort level really allowed Morrissey to play to his strengths, use his smarts. I mean, they just they played off each other so well. And Morrissey hasn't been able to find that chemistry with any of his other partners. Now, to be fair to him, I think Paul Maurice is asking too much out of Josh Morrissey. And that's to try to carry third-pair level defensemen to, to pretty big highs. Like it's not Morrissey's fault that he can't do that, and it's not, you know, Tucker Pullman and Nathan Beaulieu's fault that they can't elevate their game as well. I mean, there's very few guys in the NHL that can that can carry a partner and deliver first pair results, and Yeah, it just appears like Josh Morrissey isn't one of those guys. Doesn't mean he can't be a you know a big help on a on a contending team, just that, you know, probably more of a a number two, a support piece on a top pair as opposed to the no doubt about a top guy. So I guess then what's the fix? Like how, how do the Jets find, I don't know, a stopgap at least to figure this out for this season? I mean, when when you look at the options that the Jets have right now, I mean, personally, I would still have Morrissey DeMello as, you know, one of the pairings at the top four. I, I don't know why Paul Maurice has been a little hard on Dylan DeMello, to be honest, this season. So, I mean, that's an option as opposed to going to Pullman or Bolu. But to me, what I would go for, and I know it's unconventional, but if you're looking at when Josh Morrissey had his most success in the NHL, it was either with Dustin Bufflin or Jacob Truba. And at the time, those were two of the best puck movers on the team. Who's the best puck mover that the Jets have on the blue line right now? Their best passer. It's Vili Hainala. And these two played together. Yeah, it was only one game. And yes, it was against Ottawa. I get that. But I think everyone's in agreement. That was Josh Morrissey's best game of the season so far. And Billy Hainala didn't look out of place whatsoever. And if anything, kind of jumped off the page. And I thought showcased a reason why he should be in the lineup permanently moving forward. So yeah, you'd be undersized on that pair and and sure there might be some issues in the defensive end with those two or maybe specifically just with Hanella but there those exist already so it's not like you're you're adding on to something that isn't there like this team struggles to play inside their own end but for me the biggest reason why is that they can't find a way to get out successfully there's not a lot of clean zone exits out and to me Billy Hanella that's his biggest strength that's the one thing he does better than anybody in the entire organization right now. He's going to get the puck he's going to get the puck out and onto the attack. He's going to get the puck out whether it's by himself or in tandem with Josh Morrissey and get the biscuit to this team's biggest strengths, which is their forwards. They're going to go on the rush. They're going to spend time in the offensive zone. And that's when things can kind of get a little deadly. So I, I just think this team needs a lot of that right now. And, and they're, hey, look, they're probably going to get away with it against Ottawa again. But even against the Oilers, like I I just, I, I think it's something that needs to be addressed hopefully sooner than later. But to me, man, the kids just got so much potential. And we're seeing youngsters across the NHL just have big-time success right away as young blue liners without a ton of experience. So I just I feel like an opportunity is being being wasted here. And look, I was never a big fan of the free Niku movement, but I'm sure as hell buying stock in the free Villy wave. So it's time to free Villy. No shit, I didn't even I didn't even plan that. But free Villy, free Willy. It's it, This makes too much sense now. Let's have Hainala jump over the rocks and unleash his potential on the NHL. Somebody that can make memes and can Photoshop. Send me a pic of that. Free Villy. It, it's time. We got to make it happen. Oh, and before we get to our final order of business here, almost forgot Pierre-Luc Dubois. His first two games with Winnipeg. What did you guys think? I don't think PLD played super good against Ottawa. I didn't love his game all that much. Still, kind of waiting for that chemistry with Kyle Connor to pop off the page too. I don't, I don't know if that's been seen just yet. But in that Calgary game, especially, it was the second half for me. He got so much better as the game went on. But in the second half of the Flames game, that was the real exciting part. I thought, oh boy, if the Jets could get this guy going, you know. I, and I guess maybe it'll it'll take a few games, maybe a couple weeks for for Dubois to get adjusted and and acclimated with the team. But there's a lot of potential with this guy. I I think Jets fans should be really really excited. And I tweeted it out, you know, watching the game the other night, but the dude can move for a big guy. Like when he gets going, he covers a lot of ice and he's just a handful for the other team to handle. So, I I mean, I guess all in all, I don't want to say a so-so first couple of games, but I, you know, probably about what you would expect. He looked, he's looked a little rusty so far, and you've seen some pretty big flashes of potential, but it's just going to take some time for him. But I, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism here, and that eventually, like we saw in that Calgary game, to come playoff time, if the Jets are lucky enough to get there, to go Shifley, Dubois, Stasny, Lowry down the middle. I just think it's going to be a handful. I think I, 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 And even with Montreal's depth, I don't know if there's a team that can handle that in the North Division. And there's probably only a couple in the entire league that could match up one through four like that once Pierre-Luc Dubois gets his sea legs under him and gets going. It's, it's pretty exciting stuff, no doubt. All right, so we'll get a lot more Jets talk in on Tuesday's episode. Um, as you can understand... It's been a pretty insane couple days for me, so I'm just going to recharge over the weekend, and we'll have a a super jam-packed show for you guys on Tuesday, a ton of Jets talk, two really big important games to break down as well, so we'll get to that on Tuesday. And, And we got a great talk upcoming with the chef and owner of Feast Cafe Bistro, we'll get to that momentarily, but first... Two of the sport's most respected fighters will step back into the octagon this weekend to compete for the welterweight title. And DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a shot at huge cash prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering new players a shot at millions in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, fantasy MMA is super easy to play. You just pick six fighters, stay under the salary cap and then pile up the points for advances, takedowns, a whole lot more. No better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to compete for a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Plus, don't forget, basketball and hockey, DraftKings has even more money up for grabs this weekend in those two sports. Plus, of course, DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the week. That's promo code THPN to get a shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. Only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Well, we teased it enough here. Let's get right to it. All right, very pleased now to be joined with the owner and executive chef of Feast Cafe Bistro here in Winnipeg, Krista Gunther. Krista, how's it going tonight?
0: I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm doing pretty good, thank you. So I I wanted to start off. It's funny how weird life is sometimes because we had emailed back and forth uh, a little while ago, and I'm trying to think when this was. It would have been a couple weeks, I think, and I was just doing some prep. And I always have the Food Network on in the background at my house, and I was I was talking with my wife, and I was I was just trying to double check on how to pronounce your last name and all that. And yep. she's like, "Oh, well, it's right there." And it was you on TV. You were on Big Food Bucket List, so it was it was just funny how it works like that. But what was that all like?
0: Oh, that was I mean that was taped, um, you know, year almost almost close to two years ago. So the pandemic kind of you know, delayed things, but that was a really exciting time and an amazing experience, and it was like two full days of filming for, you know, I think it was nine minutes, but it was um, a great experience for staff and a great opportunity to showcase um, what we're doing over there at the restaurant. So, yeah, lots of fun, and John Cattucci, how you see him on TV, that's actually his personality. He is who he is. He's so funny.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. Now, and for those that don't know, you're no stranger to uh, TV and the Food Network because you're also a judge on Wall of Chefs.
0: Yes, I was another really memorable experience, and for me, I was—you know—I'm just a home cook turned restaurateur, so to—I did not know all the other chefs that were going to be there, and to show up to see some of the that i have been learning from and watching on food network over the years on the same wall as me was a little intimidating i have to say but uh, also was a true honor to be there
1: you know i was gonna i've always wondered this when when i watch judges on cooking competitions is it like major anxiety levels watching the home cooks and watching the amateurs try and like with all these crazy time constraints and everything try oh. and get a dish out on time
0: yeah it's a you know, some TV is maybe not so real, but when it comes to these <laughs> competition shows, it's real. The pressure is real. You get so nervous for for the contestants. Um, it gets, you know, they make, you know, sometimes they drop things or they burn themselves. And, you know, you feel for them. And it's, uh, we were on the edge of our seats for a lot of the competition. <laughs> so it was, oh yeah, it was lots of fun.
1: Now we had Mandel Hitzer from Dear and Alman on a couple weeks ago. Uh, one of your, I guess, co-judges on the show. And we, we talked about his three fridge items. There's a segment where the cooks have to use three items that are in one of the chef's fridge. Did did you ever get a chance to do your fridge? And if not, what would your three fridge items be?
0: <laughs> oh, like you know what I I have so I cook so many different types of food. So for you know, I think a lot of that was you know, kind of you know. The producers kind of influence some of that. But I think for my fridge, oh, my goodness, to make it interesting and complicated, I would probably have to say, oh, something to do with... I always have wild rice in my pantry. Okay. Um, I would definitely want to say pickerel, something with pickerel. Um, and a unique item would be, like... Um, Roasted red peppers and oil. I always have those in my fridge, so maybe something
1: like that. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot better than yeah mine was I was like mustard hot sauce, mayo and mushroom. like uh, yeah, you can't be you yeah. out of that <laughs> but I love yeah. about love about TV. Let's get to feast. That's why you're here. Could you just uh, let our listeners know how feast cafe bistro got started?
0: Well, it was not something I ever dreamed of doing. I never thought I would ever open up a restaurant or be a, a restaurateur. I'm just a home cook and um, just been cooking for family and friends. And my previous business was actually a licensed childcare um, uh, business. So I, I actually learned a lot about food and how powerful food is the body, the mind, and the soul, and particularly reconnecting to your culture through food. And I'm a French Métis, so, um, you know, I just did a lot of work within our communities over the years, and developing recipes, and reconnecting to my culture through food, and I have a really large garden now, and I grow a lot of our traditional foods, and so I'm always incorporating that into um, a lot of my recipes, and, So the opportunity kind of just presented itself to me and after I did research realizing there was only a handful of indigenous restaurants across the whole country to represent our communities, our culture, our food, our people, I just felt the responsibility that, you know, I have to do this. I really want to give this experience to customers. I want to highlight our traditional foods from this great land and bring some of those home-cooked meals into the restaurants and here we are. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and on your website, you have, um, I guess, a description, modern food rooted in First Nations traditions. Can you maybe just explain, I, I guess, the, the thinking behind that? And then also what's what the balance is like between, you know, wanting to honor the traditions and, and recognizing the past, but also maybe moving things into the modern day?
0: Well, I think that's, that is exactly just how I eat at home. Um, you know, I'm a busy mom of three, and... You know, um, I've always been an active person and and always doing things on the go and working. And so that's how I eat at home. sorry, It's about how do I incorporate as many traditional indigenous ingredients into a dish at home that's realistic to cook, that's good, and that's, um, you know, using some of those ingredients. So that's why it's called modern dishes rooted in traditional First Nations food. For example, we have, you know, buffalo lasagna. So instead of using beef, we use our bison in that dish. Um, for example, you know, pickerel sliders, you know, we have, you know, tomatoes and, you know, dill aioli on top, but, you know, we're highlighting the pickerel. Our traditional tacos, you know, they have bison, corn, four kinds of beans, which are all traditional, um, fry bread, which is a bit decadent, but wonderful, and bison. So just And there's maple in the drizzle. So just trying to pull as many foods from our indigenous culture into each dish and and really just highlighting that part of it. But using foods that people are, uh, dishes that people are familiar with, so like the Bannock, you know, pizza and things like that, that people want to come back and have time and time again.
1: And we'll get to the Bannock in just a second, but your journey from home cook to, to restaurant, and it's funny because we were talking before this started, for those that don't know, and you're very, very humble and hesitant to use the word executive chef, but you are a chef now, even though you started off as a home-cook, but what, what's that transition like where you're like a lot of people that listen here where you don't have any experience in the food business and, and you make the jump? I, I guess just tell us what that was like at the start. Yeah, I don't
0: know. I think I... I like I said, when you Google what, you know, what a chef is, and, you know, it's somebody that's been trained or, you know, has uh, a lot of experience in the hospitality industry and restaurant business, which I've never done. I've never gone to culinary school. I've never, you know, been a cook in the the back of a restaurant. So, you know, it was, one, a huge learning curve for me because cooking at home is very different than cooking for hundreds of people every day in a, you know, a restaurant commercial kitchen. But, um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to be called a chef. And I think when you're developing recipes and people are loving them, I guess you get to be called a chef. <laughs> well,
1: well, I'll say from personal experience, it's inspiring to me because, you know, I, I kind of want to make that jump at some point. And, and even like, you know, watching Wall of Chefs to see you up there with some of the big names in, in cooking in Canada, I, I think it is inspiring to see that, hey, you know what, it is actually possible.
0: Yeah, I think, that's the, I think that was the, the funnest part for me to be on Wall of Chefs was just seeing all these extremely talented home cooks. And I think that helps other people to relate to you more when you, and it, it's inspiring to people that really know how to cook good food and food that tastes good. You know, it's definitely something, you know, you don't have to be a trained chef to open up a restaurant. You just have to have really good food and you have to be able to work long hours and just. Persevere and just take that leap and go for it.
1: Now we'll jump over to your menu at Feast and the one thing that kind of sticks out right at the jump is that you're using Bannock in very untraditional ways, at least at least to me when I look at it. Was that always the plan for you? Is to try to incorporate Bannock in in as different and as many ways as possible?
0: Yeah, I think so, because I think if you look at any you know, you know restaurants that kind of are good grub and in the community that people enjoy going to. There's a lot of bread on everything, burgers, you know, pizzas, pastas, those kinds of things. So that's a very common thing that you're going to see those staples on uh, a restaurant menu. So why not make it something different and use our traditional, you know, bannock or native bread in place of, you know, where you would see maybe traditional bread uh, just for something different. And, I mean, bannock has a long history among our communities. But at the same time for the healthy eaters out there, most of the menu was designed to actually um, sub out the bannock if you want to pass on that and sub a, a hand, local handmade corn tortilla in place of it. And it will still be delicious. It's still traditional. Um, corn, corn is, uh, you know, one of our three sisters. So there's some options there to um, to to have different options for everything.
1: Now, I believe I read this correctly, but your aunt taught you kind of the secret of, of making bannock. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, she's the only one that I ever made bannock with, and so she. I have such fond memories of making it with her. And if, if anybody's made baked bannock in particular, it, you can have a recipe, but it will be different every single time. It's all about technique. It's all about your energy. She would always say, you have to put love into your bannock. Otherwise, it won't turn out. It'll be dense <laughs> or it won't be fluffy. So it's just there's some teachings behind it about, you know, um, having good intentions and good thoughts and, and learning that technique um, in order for it to be what, what it's supposed to be.
1: And what exactly goes into bannock? I, I I haven't had it since I was you know back in grade school. I don't think. But can you you don't have to give me all the secrets, but yeah. just kind of the you know the, the baseline of what goes into it.
0: Yeah, it's extremely simple. Um, you know, traditionally they would use they would have used lard, but now you can use healthy oils like olive oil, canola oil, avocado oil, grapeseed mm-hmm. oil, vegetable oil. But they're simple, simple ingredients. It's just flour. Again, you can use whole wheat flour. You can use um, white flour. There's so many amazing flours out there. But it's flour, baking powder, salt, a pinch of sugar, and your oil and warm water. So it's an unleavened bread in essence. But if you overmix it, it could be dense. And so it's all about the texture, how much you mix it. And again, those good intentions.
1: Good intentions, <laughs> love, positivity. Yeah. That's hey, yeah. I, hey, at least I can get that down. I don't know about baking or anything else, but at least I can get that part down. Yeah. So when it comes to the pizza, is is there one that maybe stands out that your customers love the most, or one that's maybe near and dear to your heart?
0: Definitely the bannock pizza, the butternut squash bannock pizza. I that is to me, the squash is one of the most humble, underused superfood in the world it's one of the three sisters which is beans corn and squash so extremely healthy it grows very well here in manitoba so i thought how am i going to get people to enjoy squash why not try and put it on pizza and on the bannock pizza at that and so it's become one of my top cells it's delicious it's something totally different and people are loving it and it's my favorite
1: And it also has, you know, my my pizza hot take is that I actually prefer white sauce over marinara, so I appreciate you having one of those. I know a lot of people don't like me when I say that, but (laughs) I I just think it's the truth. What are some of the other popular menu items? You mentioned the squash pizza. What are some of the other ones that people seem to go crazy for?
0: Well, our bison dip. um, If you really want to experience, you know, some local Manitoba bison, the bison dip is like a take on the beef dip where you have the jus Mm. on the side. So delicious. Um, it's, you know, it gives you a really good experience with bison. You taste the sweetness. I mean, bison is so lean and sweet and this dip is extremely tender. So that's a really popular one. You can have it on the bannock or the corn tortilla. Um, our bison ribs are also, we sell out every time we, um, put them up on a special, we have them in our you know, dine-in catering, or dine-in menu, sorry. But um, with COVID, we've been just putting it out as specials. But those are absolutely, they're braised for hours and hours and hours. And we have a wild blueberry barbecue sauce. Those mm. are delicious. Um, and of course, for the fish lovers out there, Manitoba pickerel, you can't go wrong.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> those are kind of the two staple proteins on your menu, right? Bison and pickerel, is that kind of like an homage to the to the First Nations traditions?
0: Yeah, I really, you know, a lot of people at first were wary because I don't have beef on my menu. And I just really wanted, I mean, the bison traditionally has taught us resilience and perseverance and strength and courage. And so to be able to honor um, the animal and the history that it holds among our communities in the restaurant and pay homage to it and have mostly all bison's in place of beef on my menu was important. And it's uh, so far, it's been great. And uh, people love bison. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that helps. You know, and yeah. I, I love the the spirituality. Are there any other things when it comes to, to First Nations traditions and cooking that there's, I don't, I don't want to say misconceptions necessarily, but just some things that the average person might not know about that type of cuisine?
0: Yeah, I think for us, you know, at, in the restaurant, I try and... Um, Sources many in- ingredients from indigenous communities first and foremost, and then we go into our local farmers after that. But I think the essence of what we do at Feast, which stems, you know, among our elders and our history, is to really honor what goes on in that kitchen. We honor the sacred vegetables. We um, we we give thanks to all the protein that comes and all the animals uh, meat that comes through that back door, and we think about that and we. Um, we're really thankful because a lot of those animals do give up their of their lives to nourish our bodies and so we keep that spirit and energy um, when we're when we're preparing food for our customers when we're making our food and I think you just taste it in the food and it makes a difference and I think that's where feast really has come from. I mean feasting has been a part of indigenous culture for hundreds of years among First Nation communities all across Turtle Island so you know it food is really a way to celebrate and share stories and honor the land and respect the animals. And it's a form of ceremony and healing and medicine. So we, that's kind of the the connection that we have to our food, um, especially at the restaurant.
1: The traditional teepee tacos, I have to imagine people, people go a little nuts for that one, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Before we were here, you could only get them out of powwow or, you know, it's very, you don't, you can't get them anywhere else. It's, Something totally different, and it's a, it's an amazing... Actually, I had one the other day, and I haven't had one in a very long time, and it was just so good. <laughs> <laughs> I forget how good it is. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're something to be reckoned with.
1: And it's it's one of the... Like, there's the tacos and then the coconut squash curry, two things that kind of <laughs> stood out to me as maybe more untraditional. is <laughs> Like, it is, I mean... I, I know, obviously, curry is an Asian dish. I'm not, but yes. like, is there is there elements of I guess curry in, in First Nations cooking when it comes to the the squash and the other things that go into it?
0: Yeah, no, curry would definitely not be um, traditional at all. But you know, our rice we have we have the the sweet coconut jasmine rice, but also with wild rice mixed in with the you know traditional curry, coconut curry sauce. We have beans, which are one of the three sisters. We have which is something different, Uh, people can get it with shredded bison now. So, again, just using those Asian flavors, but bringing in some of our traditional indigenous ingredients um, just to make it, and then it's just something completely different all of a sudden. Um, As for the tipi tacos, though, those have been around for as long as I can remember. So those are more traditional, just maybe not with, like, the lettuce and tomatoes, but um, definitely... Um, it's something that's been around for a long time.
1: Now, you also have a feast-grab-and-go market. Is that, is that something yeah. that came up during the pandemic?
0: Yeah. You know, we were catering was kind of our bread and butter. We did a lot of catering over the years, um, especially being the year of reconciliation. So there was a lot of events surrounding that. So having traditional food there was really important part of that. And so we have a lot of different items and food that's not on our you know, uh, sorry, our cafe dine-in menu. So we thought during the pandemic, because we're closed for dining, why not sell some of those other foods that we make and people enjoy and do it so people can pick it up. It's all cooked, ready to go. It's frozen, feeds two to four people. You can pop it in the oven, and dinner is served.
1: <laughs> Which is perfect. Especially yeah. when you're serving things like bison shepherd's pie and bison lasagna, which thank you for putting that out there into the universe. <laughs> it's about time.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, bison is, some people might be worried to try bison, but it has 85% less fat than beef. It's humanely raised. It's, you know, hormone free. It's antibiotic free. It's as close as you're going to get to a wild animal. And, you know, it has a sweeter, leaner flavor than beef. And if people haven't tried bison, Please, I just try it. I, I promise you, you'll love
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> now, with the, the market that you've come up with here, we, we all know restaurants right now have to find ways to pivot and adapt during these really, really tough times. Are, are there some other things that you guys have had to, I guess, add to your repertoire over the last couple of months?
0: Yeah, you know, right when we closed, of course, it was like an immediate shutdown. And so we had all this product left in our fridges. And, of course, we're not going to let anything go to waste because we appreciate and honor a lot of our food and our ingredients. So I ended up making a whole bunch of meal kits and just contacted um, organizations that I've already been connected to on the grassroots level and said, hey, I have all this food. And we ended up processing all of our food. Um, in the kitchen and just donating it. And it just warmed the hearts of so many families that were struggling, especially because the pandemic was just so scary at first and everybody was, you know, um, unable to go grocery shopping and scared. So we were really able to impact the community in that way. And so that kind of, you know, triggered us. Uh, thought in my mind to say, why don't we offer meal kits for organizations or for others to even purchase for, you know, families in need or for healthcare workers that are working around the clock and, you know, and provide meal kits that have all the ingredients and a very easy recipe for them to follow that could feed them six to eight meals or even have leftovers. So, we did that um, over time, and then we just actually um, wrapped up a GoFundMe, which was actually across the country with Indigenous um, Culinary Association of Nations, and we ended up feeding, um, oh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of families wow. across the country.
1: Yeah, That's so awesome. I, I mean, Absolutely. the generosity, especially with members of the food community in Manitoba, never really ceases to amaze me. And, and that's yeah. so great to hear. And, and I know you have the Holiday Paid Forward uh, program on your website as well, which yeah. I think is kind of on a, on a similar sort of a vein, right?
0: Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, and I do want to mention one other way you're trying to help people out, and, and maybe someone like me in particular, is that you're not going to uh, let uh, Valentine's Day go by the wayside for anybody that's you know looking for a special something in a couple weeks, right?
0: Yeah, you know, because it does fall on a Sunday and, you know, we're, you know, just we have so much that we're trying to keep up with. I kept it real simple. I love a good charcuterie board and, you know, with a nice glass of wine and we're, we partnered with DeLuca's uh, Fine Wine, for a lot of our wine. So we're going to have a really beautiful charcuterie board for people to pick up and also um, partnered with another local artist who makes these beautiful charcuterie boards out of reclaimed wood and resin. So we're doing something simple but meaningful for people to uh, to purchase if they want.
1: Well, I appreciate it. And it's on the Feast Cafe Bistro Instagram page if you guys want to check that out. Krista, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. I really appreciate it.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me and giving me the opportunity to share.
1: Well, we have one last one to get you out of here on, and it's the, the same question that... We ask everybody on their way out the door, but with jet season fully underway <laughs> and the soup, like just everything kind of, you know, sports wise is coming into focus right now. Mm-hmm. What would the feast cafe bistro game day menu item be? If you could just pick one thing, what would be feast game day choice?
0: Oh, one thing or, oh. or a couple
1: if you want, if you can't oh, okay. decide, I'll, I'll, I will allow one. it. <laughs>
0: I, you know what? I hear it every time. It, to me, you got to go with either the burger, because people say it's the best burger they ever had, or you got to go get that Spanish Pizza and get the big grab-and-go ones. You can cook it in your own, you know, get it hot right out of your own oven, or those ribs.
1: <laughs> that sounds perfect to me.
0: <laughs> so I couldn't just pick one. No,
1: no. Hey, and you're selling, you're selling cold ones too, so. If we're going yeah. to break all the rules, why not throw a couple drinks on top of it as well?
0: Yeah, exactly. We have local beer. You know, that's the great thing that uh, during COVID we're, we're able to now, you know, you can grab a bottle of wine with your food. You don't have to stop at a second, you know, location to get beer or wine. You can just pick some up on your way with your food, and then you can go relax and enjoy the jet game.
1: Perfect. Well, again, thank you so much, Krista. Uh, before you go, maybe just let our listeners know where, whether it's social media, your website, where they can get a hold of you and uh, how they can try out all your tasty menu options.
0: Yeah, the best place to go is our website. It has everything there. And then you can also click on our social media outlets, Facebook and Instagram from there. We also deliver. We don't uh, participate any in any third-party uh, delivery apps at this time. So if you need delivery, we can do that too.
1: Awesome. Well, again, Krista, thanks so much for joining me.
0: All right. Thank you so much for having me.
1: All right. So that does it for another episode of Skates and Plates. Honestly, guys, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for supporting myself and the podcast. It it really means the world to me. We're coming back on Tuesday, diving into a pair of Jets games one against Ottawa, one against the Edmonton McDrysiders. Seeing as there's. Nothing going on there in the city anymore. <laughs> Let me know what you guys want to talk about. Hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewiki, And honestly, we'll get into whatever you want to hear. I know you guys are starved for Jets talk, judging by the messages you've sent, which have been awesome to hear. You know, awesome in the sense that you want more and more. So we'll give it to you. Don't worry. I'll feed you big time starting Tuesday, and then a ton more in the coming days and weeks as we go ahead. So again... I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. This has been another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. I love all of you. Peace!